0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Exodus chapter 20. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: Two and a half million Israelis have come out of the bondage of Egypt And they're headed toward their destiny, the promised land, the land of Canaan. And while they're traveling, don't you know, they've got their backpacks on and they're traveling and God has them stop at several campsites. And they finally found themselves at the base of Mount Sinai. And it was on the third morning. Remember that? On the third morning, there was thundering and lightning and a loud trumpet. And Mount Sinai was filled with smoke and quaked because of God's presence. And the Bible says that the people trembled and God told Moses to tell the people to back off. And then God gave them the first commandment. We talked about it last week. You shall have no other gods before me. Then God gave them the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image and you shall not bow down to them and serve them. Now listen close because we need to make a distinction here. The commandment here, the second commandment is completely different than the first one. The first commandment says you shall have no other gods before me, or you shall not have other gods. Remember, in my face or in my presence. It doesn't speak of precedence, like you can have all the other gods you want after him. You knew that already, didn't you? No, that's not what it means. It means it speaks of presence. You shall not have any other gods in my presence or literally in my face. That's the first commandment. The second commandment, notice here in the second commandment, it it, it isn't a prohibition against worshiping false gods. The second commandment is a prohibition against worshiping the true God in a false way or making an image of the real God and what he looks like. You understand worshiping a prohibition against worshiping the true God in a false way or making an image of what the real God looks like. The interesting thing about the commandments is God tells us don't do this and don't do that and you shall not and you shall not because God knows that if he didn't tell us that we shouldn't, we would. So God says here, don't make any carved image of what I look like, because he knew throughout eternity, throughout time in history, that and in the future, that man would begin to carve out images of him. And that's why God says, don't do it. And throughout history, it is very true in every culture, very interesting Every culture and every people have wondered what God looks like. Listen at this. The ancient Egyptians, they looked at the cow in the field, all tranquil, content eating on the grass, generous in giving milk, and they formed an opinion that God must be like the cow. Tranquil, serene, generous in giving milk, I guess. And when Israel made the golden calf, A few chapters later in the book of Exodus, they had in mind the idea of the carved image that they had learned back in Egypt. And we'll talk about that in our future studies. The American Indian looked at the eagle soaring high in the sky and and thought God must be like an eagle, soaring free and majestic. And on their totem poles at the top, they have an eagle. The Polynesians looked into the sea and they saw The giant sea turtle who would hide in his shell, and it's an impenetrable fortress. And they thought, this is what God is like, the sea turtle, impenetrable. Every people have come up with their image of what they believe God looks like. Now, we need to understand something here about this second commandment. This is not a condemnation against art. God is not saying I don't appreciate art. God is not condemning making art. What he is condemning is making art and then bowing down to it as God. You understand so far? God, listen, y'all. God is into art. He's the greatest artist. Name wasn't Da Vinci. Who else? I'm not into art. <laughs> God is in art. Man, you can't miss that. Look at the sky. It, it's just beautiful. Look at the landscape of, of the earth. Go to some of the locations throughout the United States and even in the world. God is into art. Hey, listen, read your Bible. The tabernacle. It was just beautiful. Had you ever, there was this man named, um, he was an artisan. His name was uh, Beziel, or Beziel, that's his name. I think it's in Chronicles. And he was the guy who, um, don't quote me on that, but Beziel, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Is that right? Yeah, okay, good. And uh, y'all shaking your heads, I'm assuming you know, right, okay. And uh, he was the guy who carved out, all of the beautiful furniture in the tabernacle. It was just beautiful. And you had in the tabernacle, you had the pomegranates and all these beautiful ornaments and palm trees that were carved. And, and in the curtain, in the veil of the temple, there was these cherubim that were, were, were embroidered in Gold in the tabernacle, on the, on the curtains there. God loves art and God loves beautiful things. What this is saying is don't chisel out a carved image and call it God and then begin to worship and serve it. God says, listen, don't look at the sky and say, oh, this is what God is like. Don't conjure up in your mind your perception of God and make an idol. So then the question arises... If we can't get our clues about what God is like from creation, then Rodney, how can we know what God is like? Well, I think the Bible is very, very clear about that. Keep your finger in Exodus and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, and turn quickly. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. How can we know God? How can we know what God looks like? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And if you go to 1 Thessalonians, you've gone too far. Back up. It's on page 1045. Colossians. Look at Colossians chapter 1. And... uh, You might want to take some notes here. Look at this. I got a lot to give you right here. Colossians chapter 1. And saints, look at, uh, I like to pick up about verse 13. If you're looking at it, say I'm looking at it. it. Verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, chapter 1, verse 13, and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son of his love. In whom, in verse 14, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Notice in verse 15, and he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Stop right there. Look at me. What Paul is speaking about is Jesus. I think you can get that. And when he uses this word image here in Colossians in verse 15, he is the image. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. This word image means the exact representation and revelation of God. The exact, that's the operative word, the exact representation And revelation of God. So Paul is saying, listen, Jesus is the exact representation and revelation of the Father. If you want to know what God looks like, then you need to look at who, saints? Jesus. You know. You might remember, Jesus said, if you, John fourteen seven Jesus said, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. John chapter 14, verse nine, Jesus said, Philip, don't you know me yet? He who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, Phil, show us the father? John chapter 1 verse 18. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 16 says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14, the word was God and the word became flesh. So God is saying, if you want to know what I am like, if you want to know me, don't look around, he says in Exodus 20, don't look around at creation for the answer. Look at Jesus Who was God who came to the earth in the form of a baby? Listen, this is basic, basic theology of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God was manifested in the flesh. That's basic theology. You can go to seminary and it'll take about two months to tell you that. (laughs) Two months and about five grand. (laughs) You understand. Or we could just learn from the Bible. God, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh in the form of a baby. Listen at this story. I've read it before, and I love this story of a man who, and his wife who were living on a farm on a very snowy Christmas Eve. And the church was having a candlelight service, and the wife asked the husband to go, but as usual, he refused. Well, this stuff about God becoming a baby in the manger just didn't make sense to him. He said he would just wait at home. Well, after they left, the man sat down to watch some television. And after a few minutes, he heard something outside. Well, he went to the door and there was about a dozen birds. They were very cold and trying to find a place to get out of the weather. The man had a barn. And so he got on his coat and his boots and he trudged out through the snow to open the barn door. But even though he had opened the door and, uh, for, the birds to just come, for the birds to come in, they didn't understand that they could get out of the cold in the barn. Well, the man decided to go back up to the house and yell at them to go into the barn. Well, it scared him away from the house, but the birds still didn't go into the barn. And he then remembered that he had some bird seed in the barn. And so he braved the wind again and went to the barn and strew some seeds out on the floor. And he scattered them out across the yard to where the birds were, leaving a trail up to the barn. Well, the birds flew right back to the house. Well, by this time, the man was freezing and ready to give up. And as he closed the barn door, he thought to himself, I guess the only way I'd be able to get those birds to understand is to become a bird myself. And as he walked back to the house, then he realized this is exactly what God had done. God had become a man in order to show man the way to the Father. The picture of the incarnation. God became man to show man how to get to the Father. It's not hard. So God says in our text, in Exodus 20, God says, if you want to know what I look like, I'm not going to leave it up to your imagination. I will become one of you. Here is my son. God the Father says, here's the son, Jesus, the exact representation and revelation of me. Amen, saints? And I think, listen, get back over to Exodus, if you will. I think, you know, talking about making these uh, gods and carving out gods, you know, give me your attention. I think that in the church today, I think we've got it backwards. I really think we've got it backwards. This whole health, wealth, prosperity teaching in the church is largely making God into their image. I think so because this whole health, wealth, prosperity, you know, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, whatever you want, you just tell God, because he's the genie in the bottle, and you just rub the bottle, and he pops out, and with a towel over his arm says, at your service, sir. This is the mentality, and you get whatever you want from God. That's making God in their image, because listen, it teaches that you need to be like me. God, you need to be like me and desire the things that I desire. And this, my friend, listen, is not Christianity. This is not Christianity, listen. The heart of Christianity is this. It's not making God in our image. The heart of Christianity, would you listen? The heart of Christianity is looking at Jesus and saying, I want to look more like God through Jesus Christ. That's the heart of Christianity, not making God look like you and give you what you want and do the things that you want. And you make him into your image as if God is so concerned with our happiness, quote unquote, on this earth and our wealth and our health on this earth. Don't misunderstand me, please. God is a healer. Amen, saints. And God blesses his people. He takes care of his people. He's been taking care of Rodney for a long time. But God is under no obligation to provide for your wealth. And God, because he is God, he doesn't have to heal us. And I need to say that boldly. And I realize that that flies in the face of a lot of teaching. He doesn't have to heal us. God chooses to heal us because he is God. But if he doesn't heal you, listen, something's going to take you out of here. Isn't that encouraging words? (laughs) Listen, you're going to die. It's going to happen. Somehow, something is going to happen. Look, you might get hit by a bus. You might get cancer. You might walk out and try to cross the street, and the truck just comes by and hits you. Isn't this encouraging and uplifting? Isn't this wonderful? Or you just might go to sleep tonight. You just might go to sleep tonight and not wake up in the morning. A lot of people have. I think we need to get real about that. A lot of people have just gone to sleep and not waking up in the morning. That's why, you know, before you go to sleep, thank the Lord for the day. And when you wake up in the morning, thank the Lord you woke up because some folk didn't. Is that true, amen? Is that true or not? Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. Is that true or not? Of course it is. So we have to be thankful and we have to let God be God and let God do what God does best, and that is be God. And if God chooses to heal us, if God chooses to bless us with wealth, no matter what state Paul said I find myself in, I am content. Whether I have a lot of money or I have none, or I'm in good health or in poor health, whatever way, I'm going to glorify God regardless. And this way, we're not making God into our image, carving out our own image of God. And so God says, don't have any other gods before me and don't make any gods that look like me because look in your text again. I've been wanting to get here for three weeks. Look at this. Look at verse five. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. You see that? Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that God is jealous of other gods? Listen, no. God knows other gods are not gods. He knows that better than we do. So he's not like, oh, well, I can't believe you're worshiping another god. I'm jealous. No, that's not God. God knows they're not God. He knows that they can't do anything for you. That's not what it means. This word jealous, if you're taking notes, it actually expresses his love for us. That he wants the very best for us. That God is jealous, listen, in a protective sense. He wants you to be blessed. And God knows that if you prop anything up in your life, it will let you down. Amen, Amen, saints? God knows that. God knows that if you prop up your husband, he will let you down. If you prop up your wife, she will let you down. If you prop up your kids, they will definitely let you down. <laughs> Say amen, fellow parents. Amen. This is my peeps. <laughs> they will let you down. If you prop up people, they will let you down. Listen, this is a shocker. You, you're not gonna believe this. It's gonna be hard for you to swallow this. But if you prop up your pastor, He will let you down. I know that's hard to believe. But it's true. It's true. If you prop up anything, God knows. You make it your God. God knows it will let you down. That's why he's jealous. But God also knows that if you prop up Jesus... He will lift you up, he will hold you up, and you will be blessed, never disappointed, and always satisfied. Isn't that right? Y'all need to say a better amen than that. Because that's true. That's why he says, don't have any other gods before me. Don't carve out any other gods, because he knows that those gods will fail you. And then notice again in verse 5 and 6, saints look at it in your Bibles, visiting, this is very important, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy in verse 6 to thousands and to those who love me and keep my commandments. Listen, give me your attention. There are those who use this scripture verse to prove to you generational curses. If you've ever heard that phrase before, wave at me, would you? Okay, that's a good number of you. People will use this verse and tell you that if your great grandmama was into witchcraft, or your great-grandmama was an alcoholic or had some other sin issue in her life, that you're also going to struggle with those same issues. That Satan has a stronghold in your life and in your home because of the sins of the past and because there is a curse generationally passed down to your family. They call this as a whole teaching. There are whole groups dedicated to this type of teaching. Saints, I need to be clear. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible is very, very, very clear on this issue. If in fact, now just reason with me for a second. If in fact generational curses were true, meaning whoever did what way, way back, who knows where this stops, but way back in your past they did this and all of these things are generationally generationally passed down to you if in fact generational curses was something that we as Christians need to be concerned about then we would read about it from the mouth of Jesus from the mouth of Jesus Jesus listen to me close never talked about generational curses the prophets in the old testament never talked about generational curses Paul, Peter, James, John, all the epistles never address this subject of generational curses. So where then the question comes, where then do people get this idea? Well, listen, they get it from this one text and they develop whole teachings and whole movements from this one particular text. Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible teach that we are generationally cursed. Now, this word visit, if you're taking notes, is very important because it means to oversee. It means to muster. It means to charge. It means to care for. God is saying, listen to me closely, I love you and care about you. And generation after generation, if your kids rebel and sin, God says, I will visit them. I will come and make myself known.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time.